Welcome to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. This is a show for listeners wanting to learn more about the ins and outs of the securities brokerage landscape. Each episode will feature insightful conversations with the world's leading investment bankers, placement agents, capital providers, startup CEOs, and more. Let's get into the show. Daniela, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pencils Down podcast. Well, thank you. And thanks for this great opportunity. I appreciate it. No, it's so great to have you. Uh, So I usually start by asking our guests to share a little bit more about your backgrounds. I think like you, I am also a recovering attorney and would be very interested to learn about your eventual path into investment banking. More specifically, what led you to form Portside Capital Solutions after so many years of great success and accomplishment in the legal world? Well, it's a great question. And you know what? Um, I have to kind of pause and think about it because I feel like a lot of my career path and decision has really been a result of sadly what's going on in the economy and in the world and just a different climate. You know, to kind of date myself, when I graduated from law school, sadly, that was around the time of 9 11. And just kind of during different types of, you know, unfortunate situations and being opportunistic, you know, how to make the best of, of what's what's taking place in the economy and the like. So, you know, I started my career in law and in investor relations many years ago. And from that, you know, ended up working in politics and government and then into kind of corporate and crisis communications. And then eventually um, made my way back to law, both on private practice um, for myself, but I also worked as an attorney in government doing a lot of, you know, legislative and public policy work. And from that, you know, I ended up spending a good 10 years at a global law firm where I led all of the business development efforts for their private equity practice uh, nationally and globally. And, you know, ended up kind of rebranding a deal sourcing platform that that we helped the firm develop. So always staying connected to the deal community, you know, launched and developed their family office initiative for them. So as big and fancy of a firm, they did not have a fancy CRM. So had to, you know, go across the empire and identify those those clients and how do you bring value within um, the deal making community as well. Um, And then ultimately uh, left there, went to a private credit fund. And then when COVID hit, decided to kind of go on my own. Same thing, kind of turning a certain situation into a positive. And to be honest, I think during that process, when I was thinking about doing this, I was actually approached by a number of different clients now that wanted me to work with them full time. And I really felt that given my background and my network over the years and across different industries, now was kind of the time to work with different types of clients, whether they were investors or growth companies. So it's definitely really more um, opportunity with the market and the timing and, and what's been taking place and how to turn that into a positive and something that I'm just really passionate about doing. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. No, thank you for the background. And I think what's interesting is obviously you were working in a business development role at a, at a large international law firm. You've now launched Portside Capital, which is its own entrepreneurial venture. Tell me a little bit about the thought process that informed the decision to ultimately take the leap and to launch your own venture, which is quite a different enterprise than than joining a large established corporation. Yeah, I mean, it it is obviously quite different, right? Because you go from working at a, a global organization with lots of resources and, you know, you have a lot of things kind of at your fingertips um, and available to you to basically launching on your own. And to be honest, um, I think this is where Finalis was actually really helpful to me. 
um, is kind of figuring out what do I actually need to do also in order to do what I'd like to do. So really stopping to think about what is Portside Capital Solutions? What do I want to do? What What is this going to look like? And how am I going to get there? And it was quite an evolution in a process. Um, I will say um, you and your team have been quite helpful with that. But, it, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I think in light of my background and all of the years that I had working at the firm and in other organizations, it's almost like I had to do all of those things over the past 20 years to do what I'm doing now and to do it well and where I can actually be a full resource to a number of, number of investors and, and growth companies. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm sure at some point you've heard Steve Jobs' 2005 Stanford commencement address. And one of the lines that I often think of is where he says that, you know, oftentimes in business and in life, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? right? It's, it's hard to connect the dots pointing forwards. And as you were talking, it it reminded me of that observation because you've obviously, you've spent time in the legal arena, you've spent time in politics and business, and ultimately you landed with Portside, but it's probably not a path you could have anticipated, you know, 15 years ago, uh, looking ahead in your career. Tell me maybe an anecdote or a moment that kind of crystallized for you the opportunity in, in ultimately taking the leap uh, and forming your own firm. I think that uh, what made me really stop to think about what I wanted to do is, um, you know, I was actually approached or having a conversation with a fund that I probably have had a relationship for a number of years and just in discussions with them as to, you know, what were they working on, what types of deals that they were, um, you know, working on at the moment and where they kind of needed help. And they they called me to, to talk about it. And it was kind of, I think, from that moment on that, I thought, okay, well, if I could do this for this one, you know, contact that I that I know, um, I could definitely do this for for many others. And I just think, honestly, you know, this is such a relationship driven business, and relationships are really important to me and meaningful to me. And so, I've had just a number of different contacts, honestly, kind of proactively reach out to me to see what was I doing after I left the firm and after I left the fund, and as they were each sharing with me what they were working on, it was pretty much, well, how can we collaborate? How can we work together? And it honestly starts to snowball because I ended up trying to help them in a number of different ways. And that's kind of how it evolved, which is great because I feel like I'm able to work with a number of different investors and relationships across the board. It makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I think one of the other things that I was thinking about as you know, I was uh, preparing to to hop onto this podcast is the fact that you launched Portside Capital in May of 2021. Right. And something that we've all been living through now is obviously this COVID pandemic. It's been, you know, obviously the worst global pandemic in modern history, um, but there's also been massive economic disruption and dislocation uh, globally. And now more recently with the Ukraine conflict and inflationary concerns, it's been an interesting time to launch a new boutique investment bank, not for the faint hearted. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I guess one of the questions that I had for you was really around how you and the firm have managed this exogenous shock. You know, it, it's been a shock, not just on a political level and, and on a healthcare level, it's been obviously very tragic, but it's impacted every industry, including the investment banking space. Right. So you're curious to know how, how you've confronted that challenge. 
It is interesting because I think it kind of turns to something I said earlier with how do you turn, um, you know, a challenging moment into opportunity. So I felt for me, I think I'm sure for many others, you know, people weren't traveling, things were closed down. But at the same time, there was such an eagerness for people to stay connected. So I actually, on the business development side of things with the launching, I feel like I actually met so many more people during that time, even just virtually, like with what we're doing and across different markets and globally. So I actually feel like that actually presented more of an opportunity than a challenge. I think that, to be honest, if we probably didn't have more of the comfort level with people hopping on a call to do Zoom, I mean, even with LPs and fundraising, I mean, that's very different even for, for, for other audiences. And I think people just started getting used to, well, what do I need to do to just keep going? So I think that what happened during the pandemic allowed for opportunity as to how, how we all function, right, and how we're going to continue to do business. And I think that it actually, to be honest, opened more doors where people were more available because they weren't traveling. I think if I tried to launch this before COVID happened, it probably maybe would have taken me a little longer, to be quite honest. So I think as far as um, access and things being with more ease to connect, I think that was actually a, a plus. I totally echo that in the sense that I actually think that as tragic as the pandemic has been for many startups, and I'll throw Finalis in as, as an example of that as well, it's actually helped to level the playing field vis-a-vis kind of more established incumbents because of the way in which we can do business development, right? where it eliminated, at least for some period of time, the norms around face-to-face physical interactions, which is difficult to scale quickly and very costly, obviously, for a young company. One question I had for you is the extent to which you see this now reverting in a post-COVID context. Do you see a need now to engage in more face-to-face business development efforts, or do you think that the norm has shifted and that uh, there is no longer an expectation of of face-to-face from a business development perspective? I think that's that's a really good question. I feel like um, lately it seems to be market by market. I'm based in Boston, live north of Boston. When setting up meetings, even within my market, things are still not quite fully open. So, but I've been to other markets, you know, I was in New York City last week last week for some meetings. I've been obviously to Florida and other places. So I feel like it's more of a market market basis um, with meeting with, with people in person. But as far as like, I think people now ask, do I have to, or is there an immediate need? Can this be done to be more efficient, more effective without that? I mean, it's always great to see people in person. I love that. I love people. I love connecting. But there is also a level of efficiency with getting your work done and being productive and your clients knowing that. So um, I think some of it is probably obviously going to continue. And even from what I'm hearing from different clients and just different things that that, that we're working on, you know, you can kind of clearly be anywhere. Um, at, at this moment, I, I don't see it going back to, okay, you have to go to every single conference and you have to be, at, you know, at, at all of these places all the time to, to be seen and to be visible. I mean, even with what we're doing, you know, that, that can be done, um, you know, from your home office. Yeah, it, it makes a ton of sense. I guess specifically with respect to, you know, the pandemic and port side and port side strategy, I was curious 
the extent to which the pandemic or even the way in which we're forced to work in a pandemic context has actually influenced your overall business strategy. You know, how, how has this kind of distributed approach uh, and needing to scale in this way impacted the way you've thought about scaling Portside? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I think earlier to what I was just saying, I think for me, I think I always kind of have to also remind myself because you're right, like it, I am a startup, right? And I think, you know, time and costs and efficiency are things that you have to factor in. And I always look at it, you know, on the deal side or with clients, you know, can I get things done in a more efficient manner? Do I need to go to this event or to this meeting or to that? And just really kind of stop to think about that. Where I think in the past, or obviously, you know, having worked at a bigger organization, everyone was just kind of on autopilot, right? You just kind of, you did a lot of things. It was just different. But I think when you are on your own and when you're thinking of how to manage your time and how to manage your business, you do have to give that a little bit more time. But I think now this is such a norm with, you know, with Zoom and with other channels that it just seems more of a natural flow, right, as to how we're operating and doing business. Um, I'm still seeing, obviously, a lot of people still using Zoom, but I'm also now starting to see some of that kind of trickle down to just back to regular calls after someone probably had an initial meeting. So just like, you know, different types of things that might change along the way subtly. But I think at the end of the day, people are still connecting and finding the best way to do that. So I kind of take the lead based on the person that I'm dealing with, whether it's a certain client or a prospect. And, you know, if they ask me, will you will you take this trip to come meet me? I always say yes. So if I, I don't mind doing that and I'm happy to do that. So I kind of take their lead as to what, what they're comfortable doing. Yeah, I, it makes a ton of sense. You know, I was I was realizing as we were talking that I didn't actually, you know, ask you the fundamental question, which is tell me a little bit about Portside and its differentiated approach to the market. I'm sure that our listeners would love to know a little bit more about what your take is on investment banking from from Portside's perspective. Right. So a little bit about Portside. Um, so when I when I launched it, basically at a high level, I'm working with different investor clients. So that ranges from you know private equity, independent sponsors, family office, venture to kind of help them either you know, raise capital, source capital, and kind of everything in between, to be honest. At the same time, I also get approached by a number of growth companies as well for different capital raises, also helping them with just, um, you know, strategic growth advisory type work. And I think one of the reasons why I ended up also launching Portside is because I, I love connecting and helping. And so I always have this just ask policy, just ask me. So although the mandate might be, okay, you're helping company, um, tech company A with a capital raise. Well, there's so many things that come up during the course of that mandate and it can shift and pivot and they might need a new CFO that I can help them find or just, you know, it's really in a number of different ways. And on the investment banking side, I purely don't do investment banking, but I do collaborate with other investment bankers on the platform. So a lot of times, even right now, I have a couple of clients that I know are preparing for a sale to kind of bring those investment bankers in to be part of the discussion, getting them ready um, and prepared. So pretty much at a high level, you know, working with the different invest investor groups and also with the growth companies um, to kind of scale, scale their companies and, and help them to be more effective. As you think about, you know, continuing to grow and, and scale up Portside, how do you think about capacity management internally as a firm? You know, one of the things that we've observed here at Finalis is that 
you know, among the, the one to two person boutiques, so to speak, there's a chronic oversupply or undersupply of deal flow. Right. And that lumpiness can be problematic in a context where you're also trying to scale up. Tell me a little bit about how you've confronted that challenge at Portside. Uh, that's a great question. And I have to say, you know, fortunately, a lot of the deals and opportunities that I've been working on have come from my direct network or warm. But I will say um, I love what you're doing with the uh, marketplace mandate where that's been really helpful for me to either, you know, place a deal or a fund on the platform, meet other great affiliates on the platform and collaborate. So I think that's a great way whether I'm working on something and I might need a little bit of help and to see if someone out there wants to raise their hand and they're interested in the opportunity. So I think that's a great way for me to, um, you know, plan ahead or just think about, okay, well, how can I, how can I collaborate with someone on this opportunity or kind of the other way around? They, as I get to develop a relationship with them and, and frequently talk to them, they might tell me what they're working on or, or they might say, Hey, do you have something in X? And it just kind of helps to build and grow in that, in that capacity. So I feel like I don't have to necessarily add another me to Portside. I feel like what Finalis is offering and has offered is amazing. And to be honest, it's really helped me a lot. I've met so many outstanding other affiliates across the country um, who are working on some really interesting deals. And it's been really helpful. That's great to hear and, and a strong validation for kind of the marketplace direction of the Finalis platform. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for being an early user. And participate in this. I guess one of the things that we think through a lot is, you know, what are the types of things we can do through the marketplace to entice collaboration, but entice, you know, truly value-added collaboration. You know, the way one of the things that I think about a lot is this isn't networking for the sake of networking. Right. It's networking surrounded fundamentally predicated on real a real monetizable opportunity right. in the form of a of a mandate. What are the levers do you think that that we could push or the guardrails that you think would help to entice collaboration? Because there are skeptics that would look at this and say, yeah, but w working with small investment bankers and encouraging collaboration, you know, everybody wants to own their own deals. So it's not possible to do this at scale. We actually think it is possible, but that there's probably a number of guardrails that we have to get absolutely right. Uh, in order for this to work at scale. What, what would be your recommendations here? Well, you know, what's really interesting. I feel like because it's so relationship driven with what we all do, I have found in my experience with how you've developed it, that so far everyone has actually been very like-minded. So clearly, I mean, think about it. You wouldn't want to have sharp elbows if you're trying to collaborate on a deal. At the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the client's goal. So if I have to share my economics or vice versa, it's totally worth it in order for the client to get their goal achieved because there'll be the next deal and the next deal. And I can say, you know, with one of the gentlemen that I met through the, through the mandate, originally he was helping me on, on a deal that I had and that one didn't go forward. But since then, now we've been sharing other deals with each other as a result of it and just building our relationship. So I think that what you've done, um, and, if, and if folks out there say, oh, it can't be done, it actually is being done. But I think it seems that everyone so far that I've met on the Finalis platform shares in the same culture and values and you know ethos as to how they work and run their businesses. 
So whether it's someone small like myself or firms that are much bigger, it seems that we're all pretty like-minded, which I think which I think is great and unique. That's great to hear. And I think yeah, in many ways reflective of kind of this this value we have as a business. One one of the things that we think a lot about is that uh, and that we've heard from others' voice is that you know, 10% of a success fee is far better than 100% of no success fee. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, but sometimes I think the way that the legacy industry has evolved, certainly within the bulges or large boutiques, has tended to shy away from thinking about collaboration in this sense. And that's, I think, a, a piece of conventional wisdom that we're, we're trying to challenge through, through the marketplace. Mm-hmm. To what extent would you say that you know, Portside Capital's relationship with Finalis, with respect to the way that our other products and services have figured in it, played a role in the early chapter of, of you scaling up Portside? I mean, one of the things that you mentioned at the, at the top was that Finalis was helpful in the setup phase. Tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you. I thought it was excellent, you know, customer service. I feel like it can, listen, it can be a very overwhelming process, right? And I think that the compliance team is top notch. I think that they are very thoughtful with actually learning about my business and what I was planning to do, um, but also making it very efficient with regards to agreements and just, you know, which ones I needed and, and all of that to kind of help streamline it. I felt that they were very respectful with just timing and turnaround time. And I can imagine how busy you and the team are, but I feel like anytime I talk to someone, they're always there with a smile, there to help. If I ever actually have a question with a prospect and I want to, you know, run it by them first and and just get some guidance They've been amazing with that. So I think that maybe the the geek lawyer in me, you know, some people cringe at the word compliance. I actually um, really value the compliance team and, and what they do. And I think that they've been really helpful with obviously getting me on board, but it's been the same experience throughout. So it, I, it wasn't like, oh, let's help her get on board and that's great. And then once she's in, she's in and that's it. That has not been the case. They've been amazing um, throughout the whole process and, and, and with each thing that I have, to be honest. That's so great to hear. You know, one of the things that we're really focused on trying to demystify is this sense of, you know, it's not that hard to get up and running. Right. I think historically it's been very hard because the app stack that a basically a, a one-person boutique has had to set up is incredibly fragmented. Right. Historically, before Finalis, there was no one-stop shop type solution where you could just, you know sign up with a firm and they were going to get you running, get you up and running from a back office perspective. Do you get the sense that there is an increased interest for, you know, kind of one person, one man, one woman bands uh, to get set up uh, in this segment of the market? And if so, what do you think is fueling that desire? I I would say yes. I I, I think I am seeing that and seeing more, more people doing that. I think it kind of goes back to like what we were saying earlier in our, in our discussion as far as opportunity. And I think, you know, obviously a lot of us where we are at this point in, a, in the stage in our career have had a lot of experiences, have had, you know, have built a number of relationships. And I think it's just kind of turning that into opportunity and how to leverage that. And maybe there is a shift, even like you were saying with COVID and just how other organizations have functioned in the past. I think that 
it is fueling more entrepreneurship and more freedom that people can do this and do it on on their scale, on their schedule. So I think I think that could be it for sure. But I, I am seeing I am seeing more of that as well. Awesome. Uh, tell me a little bit about what the next you know, year has in store for for you and Portside. Any any exciting initiatives, new clients, or big bets that that you and the firm are taking? Well, um, I hope that over the next year, things continue to stay the way they are. I think things are going quite well. I think that, you know, continuing to to take on um, new deals, collaborate more with others on the platform and also others that I have relationships with that might not be on the platform as well. One of the things, too, that I'm passionate about is obviously being a, a woman in, in, in the private equity deal making community is to help attract more women. In the profession, uh, I serve on the board of ACG, the Association for Corporate Growth, um, on the Boston chapter, and I co-chair the Family Office Committee, and I co-chair the Women's Connection Committee, and then I'm also involved with the group called the Boston Club and serve on their corporate board committee, and their mission is to help place more women on public and private board opportunities, and we obviously have a number of women who are doing that now, but we also do board readiness programming. So I'm now bridging ACG and the Boston Club so that we are a resource to others in the M&A community to identify more women um, for those types of leadership opportunities. So I will say probably one of my goals going forward, too, is working with more women and diverse and minority type individuals to be helpful as best possible. Um, over this past year, I did help place a couple of women. One was in a senior role and one was in a junior role. And I think we all can help one another and, you know, do our part to um, to help make make an impact there. So on my website, I have something that's called Be the Change. And so I, I'm just kind of tired of everyone talking about change and change, but talking about it, but not really doing anything. And I would like for the year ahead to continue to try to make progress and, and be helpful as best I can to my clients and to those in the deal-making community. That's so incredibly noble. You know, I think... Uh, there's a big difference between talking the talk and and, wa- and walking it, right? And you know, one of the things that we think about a lot, you know, you know, many of Finalis's uh, financial backers are actually minority affiliated venture funds. But one of the ways in which we try to to reflect that value or that virtue is by committing to hiring a diverse workforce, right. which is which is something that, you know, I think if you've interacted with many <laughs> members of the team, I think it's a reflection of that of that diversity. Definitely. And uh, I think it's incredibly noble that you have sought to do that. You know, one of the other things I, I say all the time within the company is that we as a company don't necessarily have to reflect the status quo of the industry that we're disrupting, right? Right, And I think that there's a, a, a real opportunity as a startup, a, a technology company, uh, playing into a relatively legacy industry right. to, to reflect a new set of values and a new culture that perhaps wasn't, wasn't always adopted uh, by the incumbents. No, that, that's true. And, and, I do, and I do see that reflected um, in what you're doing and what you're building and just with the culture and everyone that I've interacted across, you know, a number of different departments and groups. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Daniela, I want I wanted to thank you so much for your time today and, and joining us here on Pencils Down. Uh, very much looking forward to having you back here soon. Great. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a lot of fun and looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Finalis is a broker-dealer platform with everything M&A advisors, investment bankers, and placement agents need to succeed. We deliver a broker-in-a-box regulatory affiliation solution 
replete with tech-enabled compliance, research and analytics, deal lifecycle management tools, and a first-of-its-kind deal marketplace. Learn more at www.finalis.com. You've been listening to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep covering the latest in the securities brokerage landscape. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.